Praise God. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. So once you get there, Hebrews chapter 9, and Pastor Devonshire stopped at verse 13. I have to go a, a little bit back because my notes take me a little bit back, just back to verse 11. One thing also I want to remind you about is that today is Giving Tuesday. It's Giving Tuesday. We want what, what, what it is is that it's not something that we created, if you're not familiar with it. Giving Tuesday was started in 2012 to give people an opportunity. And what, when is it? The Tuesday after Thanksgiving. Think about that. You just gorged yourself on turkey, sweet potato pie, right? Pumpkin pie. You took care of you, didn't you? <laughs> now it's time to take care of somebody else. So uh, Giving Tuesday gives you an opportunity to go out and volunteer. You can go out and spread the good word. You can give. You can donate time or money or, or resources or effort or talents to something that you love. Now, I would put the church right there. Amen? All right? Because I love the church. Amen? Anybody else love the church? Okay. All right. I'm making sure I'm in the right place. Okay. All right. Praise God. I'm going to check something here real quick. All right. Praise the Lord. Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 11. Verses 11 through 14, this starts the, the covenant, the covenant. There was a difference. There were two covenants. There was a difference. Under the old covenant, there were sacrifices of animals. Under the old covenant, there was a, a temple that was built by man's hands. Under the old covenant, there were works that were done that was only a type or a shadow of things to come. Sometimes you hear that in church, you, you hear a shadow of things to come. What does that mean? That there was something that was significant, that there was something physical. Anytime there's a shadow, that there's a sun, a light that's behind, and there is casting a shadow. So there's something that is representing the real thing. That's a shadow or a type. Those sacrifices in the Old Testament were shadows of things to come. They were shadows of he who would be the Lamb of God, which would take away the sins of the world. But in the Old Covenant, all they had were shadows. So in this section here, starting in verse, nine, verse 11 through 28, Paul deals with the superior conditions we have under the new covenant. The characteristics of the new covenant. He had already mentioned some things, but now he focuses specifically on that. Verse 11. But Christ, being come high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. So in verse 11, he says that Jesus Christ has a greater sanctuary. What is a sanctuary? A building where people would come to worship. Jesus Christ had a greater sanctuary. Why? Because the Old Testament sanctuary, the old sanctuary was built by man's hands. If you're a Bible reader, you will know that there was, it started out with the tabernacle. In the book of, let me see, if we start with Exodus 
Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In the book of Exodus, they began uh, uh, making this, this tabernacle. The tabernacle will be a place where God's presence would dwell, where people would be able to come and worship. At the end of Exodus, however, once the, the tabernacle was created, Moses tried to enter in and he could not because he needed to know how to worship God. The book of Leviticus tells us how to worship God. But that sanctuary, and later on there was Solomon's temple. Solomon had this, this large temple that was created to the glory of God. David tried to build a temple for God, but because he was a man of blood and a man of war, God did not want him to, to, to build the temple. So Solomon, his son, was the one who was involved in that. So mankind had a part in creating that, that sanctuary, that temple. But Jesus Christ, his sanctuary, his temple is up in heaven. His sanctuary is forever. It's never going to be torn down. And we won't have to worry about anybody vacuuming it. Amen? We appreciate everybody that wants to vacuum. It's given, it's given Tuesday. If you want to volunteer sometime, vacuum after church. Amen? <laughs> we got people that clean the bathrooms. Appreciate uh, Crystal and Maury cleaning the bathrooms after every service. That's a blessing. Uh, we have some other things that we need to do. We'll talk about that after service also. 15 minutes, 15 minutes. Could save you money on car insurance if you switch to Geico. <laughs> no, we appreciate you giving 15 minutes after service. Amen. All right. But Jesus Christ being our high priest, this sanctuary wasn't made by man but by God. The perfect tabernacle was not made with man's hands. Verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves... But by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place. The book of Hebrews, chapter 9. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So verse 12 tells us three things. First, Christ's service is in his own blood, not in sacrificial animals. Pastor Devonshire had, had uh, related this before, that when you were the one that did something wrong, you had to bring your sacrifice down to the temple. You had to bring your, your doves or you had to bring your bullock. You had to bring your, your sheep or your ram, whatever it was. You had to bring your sacrifice down to the temple. You were the one that was wrong. And so that, that guilty person, which was you, brought that innocent animal which did absolutely nothing wrong. You had to bring that down to the temple. They would kill it, sacrifice it for you. But Jesus, his own blood was sacrificed at the cross of Calvary. He didn't put up an animal for your sin. He put up his own self. That's why they call him the Lamb of God. A lot, lot to study there. Second, the second thing, he made a sacrifice one time. One time. Why is this significant? Because they had to make those sacrifices over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Every time someone did something wrong, some sacrifice had to be made. Every year there was a day of atonement where there was a large amount of sacrifices that were being made. That had to be done over and over and over again, year after year, year after year, uh, time after time. Jesus made one sacrifice. For all of us, for all of eternity, past, present, future, hallelujah. One time. 
The third thing, Jesus gave us eternal redemption. In one act of sacrifice, it covered it all. Behind the bloodline. When I was in Bible school, uh, our, our founder, which is Pastor Davis, he talked about, you know, marriage relationships. There are some things that, that may have happened before you got married to so-and-so. I'm not talking about you and so-and-so, a man and his wife. There may have been some things that happened in the past relationships that went, that, that person did when they were in sin. Pastor David said the best thing that you can do is not to say anything about that. Why? Because you ask for forgiveness of those things. Why bring up something to cause trouble in your relationship? To have that person to be looking at them like, you did what? <laughs> Don't do that. Start the relationship off with just saying, hey, slate is clean. Amen? Especially if you get saved and, you know, if, if you were uh, licentious before and you were out there ripping and running and, and going from place to place and, and bed to bed, you get saved, you get to start fresh, amen? You get to start new. No need to tally up all the, all the women that I slept with and all the men that I was with. No, no. Behind the bloodline, amen? No need to talk about things behind the bloodline. Leave it back there. The bloodline is where I came and I gave my heart to God. He washed it clean, made it whole, put it in the sea of forgetfulness, and posted a no fishing sign. So Jesus paid it all, past, present, and future. Verse 13 and 14. But the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more? Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? If the old covenant was weak and imperfect, but it still did something for us. Not to say it was bad. When we're talking about the old covenant, we're not saying that we had to get a, a replacement for it because it was bad. It wasn't like a, an old car that, that stops working and say, oh, I'm tired of this thing. I'm getting another one. It wasn't like that. The old covenant served a purpose. What did it do? It was like that mirror, right? And you get in front of that mirror and you see it, that wrinkles are coming, gray hair is coming. You see that. You see something in your teeth. You see something in your nose, right? <laughs> and you see that. You say, I have to do something about that. I hope you do something about it. Get out the floss, all right? The old covenant was that same way. It showed us our sin. It showed us what we were before God. It showed us that, but it didn't help us do anything about it, right? It didn't help us. It didn't cleanse us, but it showed us something. So it was good. It brought us to God. It brought us there. It, it moved us towards God. It was, it was pushing us towards God to say, hey, I've got to do something about this. But it did not cleanse us on the inside. That's where we need cleansing. So you can follow the old, the old covenant. You can follow the old ways all you want to. You can get all the Sabbath days. You can make every day a Sabbath day. But if your heart is not right with God, it doesn't matter what religion you follow. So the new covenant is powerful. 
The old covenant, it symbolizes the cleansing of sin. The sacrifices did that. However, we needed some change on the inside, from the inside out. Sometimes we may sing that song, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. One time when I was, at, when I was over there in the, at the Bible college, one of the brothers, he, he was real nervous, and he started singing the song, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my wife. <laughs> Did he just say that? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So Jesus Christ, his death gave us this. He became our mediator. He became our go-between. And so when I need somebody to, to, to stand, to help me to stand before God, Jesus is my go-between. There is no other way to get to heaven, no other way to be saved but by Jesus Christ. There's no other name. It, Johnny Cochran is gone, all right? We don't have him as a mediator anymore. We don't have anybody else that can represent us but Jesus. He's a great mediator. And so God's standard of righteousness, it all goes through him. What does God say? The soul that sinneth shall surely die. 100%. We used to talk about the, the numbers from, from COVID. You know, so many people had, had, had survived, but there was, it was a 99% rate. Pastor Devonshire would say 100% of us are going to die. Every one of us. If the rapture does not take place first. What's the rapture of the church? Those that are right with God, that God will, will call us home and we'll go up in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That could happen in five minutes from now. It could happen a hundred years from now. The hardest thing that we'll ever do is make the rapture of the church. Why? Because you have to make sure your heart is right with God. And if you feel a twinge and pulling in your heart that tells you you are not, pray as quick as you can. Lord, forgive me, because I don't want to be too heavy. My tithe, my forgiveness, my, my, my ability to, to do something for God, I don't want to be holding on to anything that's going to make me too heavy for God to pick me up. Amen. So we're all going to die. The soul that sinners shall surely die. Well, how do you get saved? Salvation is through Jesus Christ. Wait a minute, what about the Old Testament saints? I used to wonder about this. This came up one day, you know, years ago, this came up one day. And I wonder, wait, how did they get saved before Jesus came? Jesus had not died on the cross, so what was it that Moses was supposed to do? What was it that David was supposed to do? What was it that Joshua was supposed to do? Jesus had not died when they died. So they had to look forward to the cross. God gave us the, the example all the way back in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that he gave us when Adam and Eve sinned, he, he brought forth the, the coats of animal skins to cover them. Where did they come from? They didn't come from Nordstrom's rack. God had to get them from somewhere. 
So God made a sacrifice. He killed an innocent animal and took those skins and covered them. And so even from that, they were looking forward to the blood of Jesus Christ. They were looking forward. The Old Testament saints, in order for them to be saved, they had to look forward to the Messiah coming. Their faith had to be that the Messiah would be the one that would get them to heaven. And so that's how they got there. They were waiting for Jesus Christ to do his work. And so part of his work was to redeem us. And that's what Jesus did. He redeemed us, all of us that, that, that would, would need to come under God. He redeemed us, those that were under the old covenant. He redeemed them. I, I, I don't know if it was Pastor Keckle who was preaching about it Sunday morning. Perhaps it was him, but I know I heard it somewhere, and it made sense that, that Jesus Christ had to go down to, to this place called paradise. That was the place where, I'm uh, getting a little bit too far out, but... That was a place where the Old Testament saints, they, they went because they couldn't go to heaven because Jesus had not died. Amen? Even the Old Testament saints couldn't go to heaven. Even if they were the most righteous, right, and everything else, they had to wait for Christ to come. And so Jesus died. He went down to this place called Paradise where all the Old Testament saints were. And as he was there, he had to tell them that, hey, I, hey, hey Moses, I was that one that, that, that was lifted up on, as you lifted up that serpent on the pole, I was the one that was lifted up on the cross. He had to tell Abraham that that ram that was in that thicket when you tried to sacrifice your son to me, I was that ram that was in that thicket that did not get withheld, but I went to the cross and I died believe on me. He had to go to those Old Testament saints and he had to tell them, I'm the one that you've been waiting on. And so that's how they were redeemed. Jesus Christ's death was retroactive. What does that mean? That it went all the way back to the first day. It went all the way back. The Day of Atonement was the same thing. You can read about that in the book of Leviticus. When you're reading the Old Testament, sometimes the most exciting part, because the Hebrew writing is the most exciting part of a, of, a, of a Hebrew writing, is right in the middle. It's not at the end where, you know, the, you know, you know how we do, we watch the, the American movies and the, and the guy, you know, he beats up the bad guy and, and you know, everybody runs off with the, with the money or whatever, whatever it is. In the Hebrew writing, the, 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 the best part of the story, what they call the climax, is in the middle. And in Leviticus, the Day of Atonement is right in the middle of the book of Leviticus. Why? Because it's the most important thing that happened in the book of Leviticus is the Day of Atonement. When they would sacrifice this animal and the high priest would take the blood and he would go into the holy place of all and he would, he would put down that blood there and that sacrifice that God would accept that sacrifice and the sins of the people would be forgiven. The Day of Atonement was retroactive for that year. That was all for that year. But it symbolized what Jesus Christ would do for us. What Jesus did for us. His death was so important. However, the Jews, that was a stumbling block for them. Because, it, well, you know, we didn't crucify Christ. That was, that was their, their wording. The Romans did it. We didn't crucify Christ. I was listening to one preacher. He talked about a Jewish man that he had in his church. Jewish man became a Christian. But however, in the, in the, in the process of him being converted, he was you know, going to the synagogue. And one of his Christian friends, I believe it was in college, came up to him and invited him out to 
one of their uh, Bible studies. At first, he began to cut him off to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a Jew. I don't, I don't have anything to do with that Christianity stuff. But I believe his friend kept talking to him. And so eventually he went down there, and God had smote his heart. God had convicted him. He gave his life to Christ. That's a big thing for a person that's a Jew to do. He gave his life to Christ. And so as he was doing that, he, he heard a sermon from Isaiah chapter 53. And he was listening to that, and he asked the preacher, where, where is that in the Bible? He said, it's in Isaiah. He said, in our Hebrew Bible, Isaiah chapter 53 is not in there. They took it out. He had never read Isaiah 53 before. So to the Jews, the death of Christ is a stumbling block. Why take Isaiah 53 out? It talks about his death. It talks about how he would come. He would be a lamb before the slaughter. He would not open up his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away from the earth. All those things happened to Christ. For the Jews, the death of Christ is a stumbling block. But Paul talks about it. Paul, who we believe wrote Hebrews, Paul talks about it. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. A testament was like a will today. A person writes a will. They put all the things in there. I'm going to leave my, uh, my uh, Starbucks gift cards to my cousin. I'm going to leave my McDonald's gift cards to my third uh, cousin on my mom's side. You know, writing all these things down, you know. Hey, I'm going to leave my, my 1972 Pinto to my uncle, my favorite uncle, you know, whatever. So all those things. Jesus Christ had a will, a testament. These are all the things that I'm going to leave. But that testament is not in effect until the one who writes it dies. Nobody can get anything until that person that wrote it passes away. And so Jesus had to die in order for us to have the promises of God. Now, there's a long section here, verses 17 through 22, a long section here. What is this whole thing about? I'm not going to read all of this. I'll, I'll let you do some homework in Hebrews chapter 9, maybe read Hebrews chapter 10, and pastor right, pick it up, you know, wherever I left off. But in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 17 through 22, Paul talks about Moses. He talks about the blood. We already talked about the death of the testator, the person who wrote the will. Now he talks about the blood because the blood of Jesus Christ was shed. Without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins. We can read verse 22. Let's go to verse 22. That will probably wrap it all up there. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. What does that mean? Purged. That means cleansed. All the things in the Old Testament law, they were cleansed. They had these ceremonies and these sacrifices, and they were supposed to cleanse things. The, the women that had their, uh, after they had children, they had to go through this purification process. They would bring these two turtle doves, two young pigeons, whatever it was. They had to bring these things to the temple to represent their cleansing. All the things were purged with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sin. Moses talked about this. How did Moses, they had an old covenant. Remember Moses? Everybody remember Moses, right? What did Moses get? He got ten what? Commandments, right? Got the two tablets, the ten commandments. But those had to be ratified. What does that mean? They had to be made official. So what did he do? They had a sacrifice, and he sprinkled the people with the blood. 
That was the only way that it could be ratified. The New Testament, the New Covenant is the same way. It has to be ratified by the blood of Jesus. So we look, he said, look at Moses. He didn't even ratify your covenant without blood. We don't know. And we, we don't, because we're so separated from the Old Testament now, because we don't see animals being sacrificed, we don't understand how bloody and how messy those Old Testament sacrifices were. When they brought those sacrifices down to the temple, there were special channels for that blood to, to go down into before, before the Day of Atonement. Before that, that, that Day of Atonement had come and that, that sacrifice was, was to be made, the high priest had to sacrifice 22 animals before that. And so we don't understand how bloody and how messy that those channels went down into the, book, the brook Kidron. If you read about that, that, that may, they may spark something for you that I think it was down at Gethsemane at the Brook Kidron where Jesus was near there. It would turn red because of the blood. So we don't understand how, how pricey salvation is. We don't realize how much it cost the Son of God for him to be sacrificed on the cross for us. Continual reminder of the penalty of sin is death. The death of Christ. We cannot place a value on what Jesus did for us. We cannot. We can't put an, an amount on the, the price of the blood of the Son of God who loved us and he gave himself for us. And so to think about, I'm going to curse this person or I'm going to skip church or I'm going to not obey the word of God. And, th and then to go back, think about what Jesus did for you. Think about the blood that was shed. Think about if you go back even to the Old Testament and think about all the things that were done. Forgiveness is above value. We're talking about forgiveness of your sin. You can't place a price on that. The forgiveness of what you have done in the face of a holy God. I mean, if, if, if I do something wrong and I, and I, I take roses home, right, <laughs> and, and I'm okay, maybe, <laughs> maybe if I, you know, depending on what I did, as Pastor Devershire said, you might need to go get the ring, man, you know, <laughs> whatever you did was so bad, fur coat too, you know, new car, I may get forgiveness for that, but think about forgiveness of sin, eternal punishment is before you. And God forgives you of your sin. You can't place a price on that. The only thing you can come to do is come and lift up your hands and say, thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for me. That's the least we can do for God. God is merciful and God is just. And so if we have to pay a little bit. If we do something wrong, you know, you, you know. Sometimes we do something wrong. I'm getting ready to wrap it up here because I'm, I'm, I'm out of time. But I have to finish this section before we get into verse 23. If we have to pay a little bit, right, if we do something wrong to somebody, you transgress the law, right? You speed, and you see those red and blue lights? <laughs> Uh-oh. Officer, I, 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 
Somebody told me if I, if I showed my military ID, they would let me go. So I was, what, I was 20, 21, I think I was, 21, 22, something like that. I was in Bible school. I said, oh, let me get my own military ID. So I, I took out my driver's license, my military ID. I said, did you know you were speeding? I didn't say anything. I just took out my IDs and I gave it to him. And I was confident. He said, I don't need this. And he wrote me a ticket. <laughs> I won't do that again. <laughs> right, right. So sometimes we have to pay. Sometimes we get away. But if we have to pay. Should we really be upset? If we do something wrong to somebody and it gets exposed and then we say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Is that, is that okay? I'd rather do that than pay the punishment for my sin, which is death and hell. I'd rather do that. God is merciful and God is just. So we're thankful to have a merciful God. And so I encourage you to examine your own heart. We're getting ready to close. Examine your own heart. Look at your life and see if you are taking your forgiveness lightly. This attitude can manifest when we do, and I'm just, I'm reading here from the notes that I have. So I don't want to miss anything. This attitude can manifest when we do less than our best for Jesus. When we come short. Ask yourself this, am I taking my forgiveness lightly? When we don't do our best for God, ask yourself, am I taking my forgiveness lightly? It will put it in a different perspective when you say, you know what, I can invite some people out to church on a Saturday for two hours. You know what, I can pay my tithe and give an offering. You know, I can do something. I can do more than what I've been doing. I can read more. Today I got up, I got up 45 minutes early. I didn't do the whole hour. I got up 45 minutes early just to make sure I got my Bible reading in because I had to be here at 8 o'clock for the elevator inspection, which went great, by the way. Thank you for all those that have given for that. We appreciate that. They did it in, a, I think, an hour's less time than, than, than they expected. So hopefully they only charge us for three hours and not four. But I had to get up early, so I made sure that I was able to get over here, get in my Bible reading, get in my prayer. We can do more for God. Amen. Amen. If we got to get up early and catch flights and we can do that, surely we can get up a little bit early for God and read the Bible and pray and get to God. Amen. Let's not take forgiveness lightly. Man, let's get ready to pray, and we'll look to God. Uh, remember, Thursday service at 730. Now, there is uh, prayer for those that can come, prayer at 11 o'clock. We pray for 30 minutes. We're really intent on reaching people for the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you to pray because we don't intend to stay this size of a, of a congregation that we are right now. We want to see more people here in the house of God. And so make your mind up now. Hey, I'm going to pray for the services. I'm going to pray for Pastor Devonshire. I'm going to invite out as many people as I can. You know, you make a goal. Say, hey, I'm going to bring five people to church on, on Christmas or throughout this series. I'm going to tell people about the preaching series, whatever. Make your mind up to do something for God. And God will help you to do that for him. But as we said, 11 o'clock prayer on Thursday. Service Thursday night at 730. Pray for Pastor Sister Devonshire. Let's get ready to dismiss in prayer at this time. And we'll ask Reverend Tuhig again, sir, please dismiss us in prayer.